Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. My name is Chad. I'm Liz. And we are here in episode 103, where we will be reading chapters 5 through 12 of Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. That's right. And on our next book club, we'll be covering chapters 13 through 20 of the same. Our spoiler policy is that Liz has read these books and, in fact, everything in the Cosmere, while I have not I have only read up to this point through the Stormlight Archive, including Edge Dancer and Warbringer. So we will not spoil anything. Warbreaker? Yes. Breaker, bringer, broader. (laughs) Breaker, breaker. Over, over. (laughs) I got a good old pile of fantasy books here. I'm trucking them down Interstate 95. (laughs) Warbringer. Breaker. Breaker. And therefore, we will not spoil anything past chapter 12 of Oathbreaker. Who? Bringer. That was a mouthful. Breaker, bringer. Bringer, breaker. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I have to stop talking now. You, you take over, please. (laughs) So what did you think of this section overall? I know it's it was read over a long period of time, a longer period of time than we usually take between podcasts. I don't remember any of it. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, I had to reread it multiple times, and mm-hmm. um, because of the of the break that we've taken, it's a it's a it's kind of a set up section. There's definitely some cool stuff that happens, but it's a lot of. Uh, sort of laying the groundwork, which is kind of what you would expect for this stage of the book. So right. that's not unusual. But a cool, a few cool things do happen. I was getting toward the end of the section this time through, or this last reread, and I was thinking, "Wow, we're mo- you know things are happening. We're really kind of moving through this one at a, at a pretty good clip." And I looked down at the percentage read on my, on my Kindle, and it said nine percent. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, we are maybe not, not <laughs> moving through this at a good clip, or no. maybe we are, but this is just a very long book. However, some some pretty good plot things happening in this section as well. We have Kaladin's character come to a, a pretty important part of his arc. Yeah, and that was probably the most satisfying part of the section for me. Yeah. And then we have the mysterious happenings in the tower at Eurythiru. Right, Murder of the Orient, <laughs> Tower of Radiance. It does have that sort of murder on a train vibe, doesn't absolutely, it? Absolutely, absolutely. Why did Dame Edith end up dead in the train car seven with her cats eating her face? And who that's, stole my sherry? That's right, that's what it feels like. Well, let's jump into these chapters. Chapter five is called Hearthstone. In this chapter, Kaladin arrives at Hearthstone after a wild race against the Everstorm. He finds a devastated town and fears the worst for his family. He does find a guard, though, who bullies him into the city lord's manor. So this is definitely a setup chapter. But it, it is, does yeah. it does raise an important question, though, and that that is this: What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen windrunner? <laughs> Well, um, 
I think it's half the continent in like three days. They're like <laughs> it's it's almost as fast as Littlefinger can move across Westeros. <laughs> Good answer, but I think the correct response is an Alethi or Herdazian windrunner. Oh, good good point. It's <laughs> a very good point. Who can carry the most weight? Indeed. How many coconuts could he carry? I think the Alethi can carry more. Probably. Because he has two hands. <laughs> so yes, Kaladin has flown across the continent. It's not often I get to slip in a pop culture <laughs> reference that you don't get. No, I got it. You got it? Yeah, it's from Monty Python. You didn't seem like you got it. I think you're making that up. <laughs> That's what I'm going to tell myself. Anyway. An African swallow or a European swallow? Damn it, you did get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yes, Kaladin flew a thousand miles in half a day. And then he walks 90 miles over three days. But he still does not beat the storm to his hometown. And we see when he gets to Hearthstone, the devastation that happens when a storm blows the wrong way. It's true, yeah. Because again, this is a, a world where storms only ever move in one direction. So all of the houses, all of the shelters, they're all built up to protect from that direction only. Mm-hmm. It's terrible for the people. I mean, especially the men. Okay, why? To get blown the wrong way. You're ready to get blown one way? You get blown a different way? I do not have nearly enough things over here that I can throw at you. There's a whole pile of books over there. This is not going to end well. Listen, I'm just saying, <laughs> the whole the whole world's at war, ancient things being reanimated, the only thing you can complain about is being blown the wrong way? I mean... It'd probably be easier if you take off the glove, you patriarchal bastards. <laughs> Some men. I'm actually surprised it took us that many episodes to make that joke. I, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I was thinking the same thing, actually. <laughs> so Kaladin thinks to himself that this storm is wrong in all kinds of ways, and not just that it's blowing the wrong way. Damn it. I mean, I've had <laughs> I've had some terrible blowjobs, but... But n- any that were as bad as a, a baby born without a face? No. No. <laughs> you, you, you jumped the gun on me. <laughs> you went to the same place I was thinking. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I'm sorry. Listen, there are two things in the world you don't surprise a person with, all right? A blowjob that comes from the back end. And a baby without a face. (laughs) Oh, how far into the podcast are we? Not very. (laughs) So listen, we were at a we were at a family function a few weeks ago. And your one of your cousins brought around her baby. And I turned around, and they were like, oh, it's baby Ryan. And I turned around, and he didn't have a face. <laughs> that is not true, It's like, oh, by my the way. God. You just. All of my cousin's babies have faces. That you know of. <laughs> I'm just saying it's a really, really bad excuse. 
Who? Is that how Woodbringers are created? I don't even know. I don't. I don't even know where to go from here. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I've had bad blowjobs, but never enough to awaken an ancient evil spirit that it controls my emotions. No, no, that's not true. <laughs> there was that one time. <laughs> it doesn't seem very sex positive, is all I'm saying, Mister Sanderson. So Syl seems to be remembering more and more. And a, a lot of this chapter is Kaladin and Syl sort of chatting as they're moving along their merry way. Um, and she says that that is a byproduct of her being around Kaladin. Mm-hmm. Uh, she talks about how spren are made, I guess. And uh, they see some gloom spren, which is interesting because... While that is a glo- feeling gloomy is a very common emotion, gloom spren are exceedingly rare. And Syl yeah. just says she doesn't know why. Some some are just rare, some aren't. Her sister used to hunt gloom spren. Her aunt, yes. Her, her aunt, aunt, her yeah. aunt used to hunt gloom spren. So that's just kind of an interesting tidbit. It is. Is this the chapter where we find out that spren have four genders? It's one of the next couple, if not one, this one. Yeah, one yeah. of the next ones. Some spread so that was interesting. That that haven't been anthropomorphized or or by humans have more than two genders. Pretty cool. Uh, any other notes for chapter five? You mean other than all the uh... other than? Now I did not say are there any more blowjob jokes? <laughs> oh no, we for exhausted. chapter five. We exhausted those. Any more actual notes? I mean, give for me enough time. Five. My only other note that I have written down is he mentions that the storm did not recharge his stormlight. The Everstorm. The Everstorm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he said neither with stormlight nor some other energy, which he'd feared might happen. Yeah, that's a good catch. And I feel like there's been one or two other really potentially really subtle references but I can't think of where they would, I I can't think of them right now Mm -hmm. uh, to the idea that it might, the Everstorm might carry some other sort of energy or the concept of some other sort of energy other than stormlight makes me begin to suspect that there is some other form of power that can be drawn upon other than stormlight. Right. Some well, the mega stormlight. Yeah, something. the Everstorm has that like red lightning stuff going around. Yeah. Also, Rainsprin be creepy as hell. Yeah. Blue candles with a little eye on top. Yeah. Seems like something straight out of the Legend of Zelda. I mean, you really do kind of want to see. W- would be amazing if someone could bring this world to the screen. I don't know how that would work, but it, it would be pretty amazing. This. Honestly, so we talk about some of the things that we read and what are the right media to recreate them, you know, and we talked about, you know, the Gentleman Bastards being like an ideal television show. Mm -hmm. Like still the fact that nobody's optioned that is mind boggling to me. Yeah. It would be one of the best television shows in a fantasy genre ever. Perfect for that. This is ideal for a for a video game. I believe they are making a video game. Stormlight Archive video game? Some, I, I'm not sure. 
listeners, anyone That's who not knows really anything about that, yeah. you know, chime in on the Facebook page or the Twitter. Uh, let us know if you've heard anything about that. Yeah, this would be ideal as a video game. Whereas I feel like uh, King Killer Chronicle, the ideal media for it is the novel. Like, yeah, I'm a little concerned about it not carrying over as well to television, but they're not doing the exact same book. They're not doing the book. Yeah. So, so that might, might not be a bad thing. Chapter six is called four lifetimes. Once inside the manor, Kaladin finds many of the town's residents still alive, including his parents. Their reunion is both joyful and disorienting for Kaladin. He's finally able to talk to them about Tien's death and to punch Roshon square in the face. Square in a stupid, feeble, old man face. That's right. Way to show how big of a man you are. (laughs) I'm a big, big, mature officer. I'm going to punch this old man right in his face. (laughs) So... For me, the thir- the first thing that struck me in this chapter was the scene where Kaladin is is walking through all of these people he grew up around and no one recognizes them and they all seem so much smaller. Yeah. <laughs> and that just kind of hit me. It just made me think about driving past the house I grew up in as a child and the backyard that for, when I was a kid, and we can all relate to this, just seemed to stretch on forever. And the first time that I drove by and realized how tiny it was. It's a very human moment there. I had, you know, it's funny. I had a, an interesting experience with that not too long ago as well. I was in the um, neighborhood of the community where I first lived when I moved to Maryland, uh, a place called Pioneer City, and uh, which is not a good neighborhood. And I drove by there, and I again, I remember it being this like huge expansive place and when i when i got there of course just like you said it was tiny also i so i looked up online just to make sure i was in the right place and i was and then i found all the articles about all the murders that have happened there i was like i was like oh hell i should get the hell out of here it was way worse than i remembered it i mean i knew it wasn't a good neighborhood but i didn't realize Mm -hmm. how bad of a neighborhood it was that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. <laughs> it does give you some street cred, though. I guess. I, I guess. It gives us my podcast cred. <laughs> it's the same neighborhood that Little Mo lived in. Okay. Some people will know that. Anyway, moving on. So we have this very sweet reunion with Kaladin's parents. Yeah, this was the most, this was the best part of of the overall. Uh, section to me was this the reunion i agree this whole chapter really is it's kind of a highlight for me in the book i would say in kaladin's uh character arc overall absolutely i really liked how his parents came in and they were just ready to swoop him up and they just assumed right off the bat that he's home because he's in trouble and they're like don't worry you know we we had to give your room away but we'll find a place for you and we're gonna take <laughs> care of whatever the problem is we put all your trophies in a box but you can, <laughs> you can get them anytime you want and yeah that was that was again another very relatable human moment well and they go immediately into sort of parent mode and protect mode you know, and they're like, oh, you know, and he does it. He's so overwhelmed by it. And it, it comes across earnestly. It comes across 
it plays well, I would say, you know, right. of him just sort of being overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't real like he doesn't talk a lot, which is not unusual for Kaladin. Doesn't say a lot. So when they're you know sort of over parenting him or protecting him and talking to the guard about oh you can't do this and that like at any point Kaladin can step up and be like no this is bullshit you know like. Like, hey, look at my shard blade. Yeah, you know. And eventually he does. Right, but it's believable that he doesn't do that in that moment. Absolutely. And it gives you an opportunity to sort of catch a moment of reality, which Mm -hmm. is that these grown parents of a grown-ass man are still going to treat him in that moment like he's a little boy because they're so overwhelmed to find him again. And it's been, you know, five years or whatever since they've seen him. And we both know it doesn't matter if your kid is taller than you, and one of our kids is taller than me now. Like, that's still my that's still my kid. That's true, yeah. And Kaladin is still an individual who has undergone significant trauma. And, and you know, when he keeps talking about it being five years since he left, five years but four lifetimes, I'm like, five years is not that long. Maybe if you're like a 19-year-old kid, five years is yeah, a long yeah. time, I yeah. guess. But mm-hmm. still, when you think about the trauma that has happened to him repeatedly in that five years, oh, yeah. you know, it's you see that in this character at this moment, how he just kind of shuts down and lets his parents argue with the with the guard and with Roshon over what's going to happen to him just for a little bit. Yeah, before he sort of snaps out of it. The whole whispering to sill under your breath thing mm-hmm. around everybody else. Mm-hmm. Like they're carrying on whole conversations in front of other people. And we're supposed to believe that people don't notice this? I'm sure they do. It's, well, I feel like in the context of Bridge Four, it's not going to be unusual because people know about Syl there. But when he shows up in Hearthstone and he is essentially talking to himself, I feel like people would make more of a notice of it. It seems odd to me. Okay, but be honest. How many times have you found me talking to myself? Many times a day. How do I know you don't have a spren? I'm just saying, people talk to themselves. Doesn't necessarily mean he talks to himself. They have all a spren, the, or there's something wrong all with the them. Damn time. Maybe they're just having hypothetical arguments with <laughs> someone they haven't talked to in ten years. I don't know. You don't know. I don't. You're right. I don't. Maybe they're just going through some stuff. Maybe they are. (laughs) But one thing, uh, when you bring up the conversations with Syl, they have an interesting conversation in this chapter where Syl says about his parents, they're just like I remembered them. Yeah. And he says, I, you were not ever around me Mm -hmm. when I was here. And she at first she says something about oh well I'm connected to the windspread and they're everywhere, and uh, but then she says something very cryptic. She says, but also there was another voice, pure with a song like tapped crystal, distinct yet demanding, and then she flies away. Yeah, I noted that too. You know, is she talking about the voice of Tien that she heard, or is it 
something else that we don't see. It is cryptic. Yeah. There are some, I believe, that have speculated that she was initially drawn to Tien and then kind of moved over to Kaladin when they joined the army. Um, But it's kind of a mystery. In that same conversation, or I think right before it, there's a conversation that says, uh, the winds are of honor. Mm -hmm. And again, it's just another sort of idea that honor and the high storms themselves are connected, which is not new, but just another, another thing. Another part of that conversation before that is they call the storm the wrong way high storm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, we call her Wendy. <laughs> wrong way Wendy. <laughs> Broke a bunch of our buildings. Sounds like Wendy. <laughs> Sneaking up on boys and grabbing them from behind. But I think, I mean, the crowning event in this chapter is... When Kaladin punches Roshon. Oh, the confrontation with Roshon is so satisfying. Well, see, that's interesting. I was going to ask you, what was your, if you could remember the first time you read it, at the, at the end of chapter six, not going into chapter seven yet, he punches Roshon. What, what was your feeling when that happened? I think I was happy. Because even though it, the chapter ends before you get to see the fallout from that, you kind of know that, like, Rashon doesn't have any power over Kaladin anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not going to be, I don't know. And, and there needed to be some kind of reckoning for what he did. You know, you don't want Kaladin to go in and just slaughter him. But, you know, this man who had his boot on Kaladin's family, who created the chain of events that led to Tien's death... There needed to be some kind of of reckoning for him. And and just the the dialogue there where he says, you know, he's looking at his slave brands and he says, what did you do? Hit a light eyes? And Kaladin just says, yes. And then whack, you know. <laughs> that your, was for my friend Moash. Your, your whack is one of my favorite things ever. I just want to. <laughs> okay. There have been several times in this podcast where you've gone like whack, whack, whack. <laughs> And it's, it's just my favorite. It's my it's my favorite thing ever. Thank you. So, um, like when when I read it the first time, and I don't mean to be a downer, I was sort of of two minds. There was a part of me initially that read, "Would you hit a light eyes?" And like I immediately knew where it was going. Mm-hmm. And my first instinct was, yeah. And then I was like, no, don't do it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he did it. And then I was like, ooh, that is really flying in the face of everything you've been trying to learn mm-hmm. and say and protect people, even when you don't like those people. Mm-hmm. And by the way, you're going to leave this place and leave your family, and he's still going to be here. Mm-hmm. Why would you create more animosity. This is a terrible, terrible idea. Um, but we get a lot of that addressed, thankfully, mm-hmm. in the next chapter. So yes. I don't I don't have to be... If this was like where it ended and we didn't pick it up again until the yeah. next section, I'd be yeah. like, no, this is terrible. What's wrong with you? You're an <laughs> idiot. You know? 
Yeah, but I guess, and it does resolve in a very satisfying way and a way that's true to the character's arc. That's not backsliding for once with this character. And it's immediately addressed in the beginning of chapter seven. Yes, which is nice. So chapter seven is called A Watcher at the Rim. Kaladin reveals himself as a shard bearer and eventually as a knight's radiant. He reunites with his old flame Laurel and is able to get a message to Dalinar, who asks him to find out where the newly spawned Voidbringers are congregating. So there is a little bit of stupidness leading up to Kaladin's revealing himself as a shard bearer. And I think he does kind of put it all like at this point, you know, he punches him and then he doesn't go right out and be like, oh, by the way, I'm a light eyes now, you know. Well, no, the thing, the thing that saved it all to me is that like immediately in the beginning of chapter mm-hmm. seven, he's like, that was a stupid right. idea. Right. <laughs> like, and I was like, okay, thank, all right, we're on the same page here, buddy. Yeah. Like, cause I can accept a moment of weakness. Mm-hmm. What I wouldn't have been able to accept out of that would have been a high-minded, self-righteous, you deserve that mm-hmm. and move on with the story. Mm-hmm. Like that would have been an unsatisfying to me. Right. Um, but he also doesn't, compl- I don't say he doesn't forgive Roshon, but he doesn't like excuse what he did or yeah. try to be like, oh no, he's not that bad of a guy. You know, this is a bad guy. And yeah, at some point yeah. toward the end, he looks at him and he's like, you're a terrible person. You're a murderer. But you're all we have. And I think he even says, we we have a real enemy now and, and we can't overthrow the ruling class as much as I would like to you're all we have and you have to protect these people. Well, and I do think you get the sense that Rashon has been humbled before Kaladin ever walked through the door. Absolutely. He's been humbled. Well, he seems like he's lost a leg and he definitely is not, you can tell he is not the person running the show in this town. No, it's, it's, it's his wife. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it seems like he's, you know, and not that you would, but it seems like he's really not ever gotten over the death of his son, Mm -hmm. you know, which not surprising. Um, But yeah, it has that and the injury and just the isolation of it Mm -hmm. all, I think, uh, has really worn on him to to a high degree. So uh, Laurel, is it Laurel? Laurel? Laurel. Yeah, uh, audiobook listeners, let us know. That's good. we're going to have to put that on a T-shirt. The right. audiobook, audiobook listeners, listeners, comma, let us know. <laughs> so she shows up, and Kaladin instantly becomes a bumbling fifteen-year-old boy again. I've got legs, you know. Like he he reverts back to that, you know, teenage sort of relationship that they had. She does not. No, she does not. She is in charge. And it's very interesting because she gives Rochon's perspective and she has taken his side in the conflict, which is very interesting because we've just spent many, 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 many pages reading about how terrible Rochon was and the terrible things that he did to this family. And for... You know, Kaladin is approaches Laurel with this attitude of, I'm so sorry, I should have come back for you, I should have saved you. And she's like, what are you talking about? Save me from what? Save me from what? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. 
Kaladin's like, well, he's a terrible person. You're you're stuck being married to him. And she says, well, you know, from his perspective, he came into this new town and the town's most prominent citizen was openly critical of him, you know. And stole from him. And stole from him. And so he did what he felt like he had to do. And uh, Kaladin's just like, blah, 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 you know. Other people's perspective. I'm not, blah, I'm not blah, familiar blah. with that. So, of course, I, I don't think she's entirely right. We still know that Roshone really is a, a creepster and a jerk. But but again, he's not the ultimate evil. And Kaladin has gained that perspective of seeing true evil at work and just this true malevolent force that he's actually fought and that he doesn't have anything to prove anymore. And also, what what I really like is that this change in Kaladin's character is rooted in the fact that he has come to like who he is as a person. And it's come from this place of self-acceptance, which is just, I think, what makes it so satisfying. It's a good good section, for sure. Well, and I think we have... I think we have a... Another really important emotional beat in this chapter, and what's probably the most emotional beat is when his mom says, oh, and by the way, here's your little brother. Yes, that is definitely a big, a big moment. And it comes after a conversation with Liren that I think is the resolution of this arc that Kaladin has been on where he's struggling with who he is. Can I he am I a healer? Am I a killer? Can you protect people by killing other people? Mm-hmm. The the whole morality of being a soldier and a fighter. Mm-hmm. That we have spent 2000 pages listening to this character debate back and forth. Yeah. He has finally come to accept himself for who he is and what his role is. And for him to be able to voice that to his father in his hometown is a very satisfying conclusion to that. Yeah, I also feel like it's not how you typically have these sort of struggles end. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. I haven't taken an exhaustive you know, review of the literature, but it seems to me that when you have sort of like a father character coming from the beginning and saying, you can't be, you know, a killer and save people, that generally the lesson supports the father or the great right. uncle or the you know right. and in this case this is about this character coming to recognize that while that's one perspective it's not necessarily the right perspective for him mm-hmm. you know i don't think we always see that usually you get that sort of it's it's the character coming to accept that lesson mm-hmm. not the character coming to accept that no my instinct was right the whole time you're right. It's a very nuanced take on that on that trope. And I, I really think it's one of the strongest parts of this book. Here I am defending a Kaladin chapter. <laughs> right? <laughs> Let, let's pick up Game of Thrones and read some Catalan chapters while we're at it. <laughs> I love the Catalan chapters. I, d- I did as well, but not everyone does. <laughs> <laughs> so... Kaladin has his moment with his little brother. It's very sweet. Mm-hmm. But we we all know that the next morning, it was like, oh, so is that what you did with my room? That's right. 
<laughs> That's funny. They're like, your room isn't available anymore. Yeah. I never thought about that. That's funny. I'm so sick of him, Mom. He shits his pants and nobody cares. I punch an old defenseless man and suddenly I'm immature. <laughs> so I thought it was interesting that Liren refused to leave Hearthstone and that Kaladin mm-hmm. didn't fight him that hard on it. He said he would be back, but he was okay with moving on and letting his family stay and not trying to get them to Urethiro. And I thought that was interesting growth for that character because he was able to see beyond his immediate wants and needs, what's best for me, what I want for my family, and able to see like, okay, what needs to happen in the greater conflict now? I think this whole section, uh, or five, six, and seven, these three chapters have been, are really interesting because they also sort of put you in the mindset of the way that people sort of have this monumental idea in their brain of this is going to happen. And when this happens, this is what I'm going to do. And I need to do this and I need to do that. And when they get to the, that place, it's not ever really what you think it's going to be. Mm-hmm. It's not what you perspect, you know, projected it to be. And Kaladin had this whole idea of what was going to happen if he ever came home he had this idea of what the Everstorm would do to Hearthstone. He had all, all these ideas. And when he got there, none of them were right. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he didn't know about his brother. Hearthstone wasn't devastated. Most of the town wasn't really devastated. Mm-hmm. The Voidbringers didn't kill everybody. Uh, Laurel, Laurel wasn't a prisoner. Mm-hmm. Rashon wasn't the big bad, like all these expectations that he had. And I think that's just very typical of the way we do things when we build up these big, huge, monumentous, when I get here, I'm going to do this. When I see this person again, I'm going to do that. When I get back home after you know this, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And it's just not ever what we build it up to be in our heads. So why do we keep building it up in our heads? But we're humans, and that's what we do. That's a good point. Also, Kaladin makes an announcement, even though nobody asked him to. (laughs) He's like, all right, everybody gather around and see my sword. Now give give me your money. (laughs) I'll be back someday. (laughs) Now, come on. Kaladin did that because he didn't want to leave the people all afraid right but he just it backfired i mean Terribly. let's just say he just he, he terrified them and, and then didn't explain anything he just flew away yeah the world's ending <laughs> see you later <laughs> <laughs> do not fear the monsters are real give me all your money I need to see a man about a horse. <laughs> I mean, there's a tension to be had. Absolutely. Kaladin's going to get him some. I mean, I'm just saying, if I could glow with an eerie blue light and fly to get attention, I'd do it all the freaking time. <laughs> make up every excuse. All the t- Excuse me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> People of Target. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yes, 
That <laughs> cappuccino is mine. <laughs> Beware the void bringers. <laughs> Starbucks out. Who? Chapter eight is called A Powerful Lie. We open on Shallan, who is attempting to draw Eurythiru. It should be a simple sketch, but something about the tower defies being captured on paper. She's called into a council with Dalinar and the other colons. <laughs> Everywhere I go, colons here, colons there. Is it colines? I, I don't know. I don't. Colons. We've, we've been saying colon, and I think that's Coca-Mongo? right. Cocomongo. I, I don't. But, I don't know. But for some reason, when you said it right there, <laughs> you heard it. I heard it with a C instead of a KH. <laughs> I don't. Moving on. She's unable to offer much in the way of strategy planning, but she discovers <laughs> that she's. <laughs> Walking around, seeing all these colons. I'm not good for a damn thing. There's <laughs> probably all these colons surrounding me. Got me all flustered. Why don't you start over again? But she's able to make a bitching 3D hollow map. News of another murder breaks up the council session, however, just as a plan was starting to fall into place. There, done. Are you happy? Good job. That's that's <laughs> impressive that you got through that. Oh. My first note is Tezim, Tazim is an aspect of the Almighty. Yes. So we get another like have we had this reference before? I don't have any notes about it. I don't, I don't believe think so. so. And so my note is okay, great. Why not? Throw, just just throw another just throw another one in there. Well, no. So let's 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 recap this. Okay, thank you. Tezim is a warlord in a place called Tukar who claims he's an aspect of the Almighty. Oh, gotcha. Okay, he claims thank you. Yeah, he's yeah. an aspect of the Almighty. So we don't know anything more about this guy. He could, you know, wind up being a very important interlude character. We don't know, um, but that's. That's the deal with Tezim. All right, you know what? I still say, why not? Right? <laughs> he very well could be. He could be. I mean, Dalinar bonded know. the Stormfather. Why, Aspects why? of the Almighty, right and left. Who knows? I mean, why would you not believe it? Like, are we to believe that only this shit only happens to the Alethi? Right? So... I want to back up, though, because one of the most, um, one of the nicest kind of emotional moments for me in this section is in the beginning of this chapter when Shalon is sitting there, she's trying to draw, and Pattern is trying to get her to talk about oh yeah mm-hmm. the, you know, the revelation at the end of Words of, uh, Words of Radiance, which is that she killed her mother using him, you know, she's locked this memory away, and for me, one of the most feeling causing sad moments in this whole series is when Shalon, after remembering this um, to pattern says, just says, I hate you. And he says, I know. And one day you're going to kill me for it. Especially of this, this sweet relationship that's been built up between the two of them. So for me, it was a really nice to have her finally talk about it a little bit and say, 
I don't hate you. You know, I hate um, what my family turned into at the end that, you know, she hates the situation that caught, you know, she obviously she killed her mother in self-defense, mm. but she she hates that. So that was an important moment for me. Yeah, it's a it's a powerful moment. We also find out that Shalon has been telling people that she is an else caller, which is a, another um, the order of radiance that Yasna was part of, so that she can keep her abilities to create illusions hidden. It makes sense. Pretty smart. The other thing is, and we we referenced it, but we didn't really get into it in any detail. Is the idea that she's struggling to capture your theorem? Yes. Uh, at First, I took it just to simply be because it's hard for her to physically get enough distance mm-hmm. to capture something so massive on a sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now I'm beginning to wonder if it, it if it and, and and I was looking at that in the sort of a symbolic sense of like right. I can't possibly get enough perspective from this situation because I can't get enough distance from it because I'm in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. So I can't see the entirety of it, which would be a good metaphor for a lot of the things that are going on here. But when I reread it, I'm, I almost think, no, maybe there's something metaphysical going on here. Maybe this is more of a literal, there's a problem with being able to, I see it from this angle. It looks different than this angle. I can't Mm -hmm. justify the things like an Escher painting. Especially as, well, we know that Shalon has never had this problem before where she had something she couldn't capture on paper. And in subsequent chapters, she talks about the creepy feeling she gets in this place and how often like things just seem a little bit off or the hairs just stand up on the back of her neck at random moments. Yeah. Um, is it this chapter that she talks about the different strata of the stone and people getting confused or is it chapter? Yes. Okay. Yes. Now I she's the only one who's brought that up, mm-hmm. to my knowledge. I take it that I don't I take it that it's not as though she's the only one seeing it. She's just because of the nature of her sort of mm-hmm. artistic and her ability to observe things in nature. Mm-hmm. She's the only one to comment on it, and the first to have picked up on the concept that you can sort of tell where mm-hmm. you are if you understand mm-hmm. what the strata look like. Yeah, and that's a very typical of a Shalon chapter. It is talking yeah. about the colors and the natural things around her. Yeah. So they're in this council. And at one point, Dalinar walks by Shalon and she feels a strong tugging and she finds herself walking over to the map and he has been talking about how he wishes he could see the layout of the lands better and she creates this map. But it's it's not just her doing it, it's her and Dalinar. Dalinar has kind of pulled this ability out of her. So that's kind of an interesting development. It is. It's the first time, I I believe it's the first time we have an instance of two people manipulating the same energy. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've seen that before, which is a pretty, I don't want to say common, but it's certainly mm-hmm. something that happens often in other magic systems. Right. So it's not shocking to me to find that that would be sort of an extra layer mm-hmm. to this whole thing. 
One th- other thing I thought was interesting was when Dalinar mentions Odium's champion, who he saw in a vision, Renarin reacts very strongly to that. He does. And you know what's interesting is that when I was writing my notes, and I don't know if this was autocorrect or if I just misspelled and didn't didn't uh, catch it, I read, you know, I'm going back and I read through them today and it says, Renarin seems to know something about Sodium's champion. <laughs> uh, I like who would who would be Sodium's champion? <laughs> I mean, wearing black armor, red eyes, nine nine shadows. It's gotta be little Debbie. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I was gonna say it's uh I was going to say it's nine Klondike bars in a trench coat. <laughs> so we're in a Shalon chapter, and she always thinks Renarin's creepy. Mm-hmm. But Renarin is constantly like in the background. It's like every time Renarin walks on scene, the music goes, Ta-da! and he's got mm-hmm. huge eyes, and he's in the background. Mm-hmm. And they cut like some sort of weird like uh, soap opera scene. You know, he he cast a knowing look, and there's violins in the background. Mm-hmm. And, but we never really learn a whole lot about him. Yes, Renarin is definitely, a, I think, kind of intentionally mysterious character. Yeah. But I think it's interesting, too, because Renarin is meant to be written as someone who, um, he's, he's not neurotypical, I would say. He's yeah. someone who has um, autism or, or Asperger's, mm-hmm. uh, which actually is is just autism now. They've done away with that diagnosis. But I think it's very interesting, and I really like seeing that kind of character represented in literature. You don't see that a whole lot, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you see him just not able to function around other people without creeping them out because he probably does things like doesn't make eye contact at the appropriate times, mm-hmm. blurts out. We see him talking to Adolin in the next chapter, yeah. I think, and he kind of blurts something out, and Adolin understands him, but he's like, but well, most people don't understand him because yeah. mm-hmm. he, he just doesn't know how to communicate in the same way that other people do. So I think that's that's kind of cool. And then to see whatever his ability is beginning to manifest, making him kind of even more odd and yeah. a little bit off-putting to people, mm-hmm. um, it, it's just very interesting to see relatable psychological concepts interacting with the supernatural stuff going on in this world. Mm-hmm. It's just one of my favorite things about the Stormlight Archives. It's pretty cool. Plus his blood pressure is through the roof. <laughs> right. <laughs> he is Sodium's champion. I just totally cut off the middle of your bit. No, it's didn't I? No, no, no. That was it. You had that this was a whole thing. No, no, that was that. all that was all there was to Sodium <laughs> Sodium's champion. Listen, I had a month. And I'm going to on and on it. about neurodiversity. Your stuff was way I'm more sorry. way more interesting, trust me. <laughs> but we close out this chapter learning that there has been another murder. Yeah, a guy in like an old-timey bellman's costume pokes his head in and says, <laughs> There's been a moida. Renarin looks with one huge eyebrow. Exactly. Violins in the background. (laughs) Somebody get me a bag of chips. That's exactly what happens. 
Navani smoking a, a long-handled cigarette, <laughs> string of pearls. The t- and we get, the- and we're again, we're on the train. <laughs> Chapter nine is called "The Threads of a Screw." The radiants rush to the scene of the murder. The body was found in the same exact position and with the same wounds that Sadius was, leading everyone except for Adolin to believe that the same killer is responsible. Dalinar delegates the murder investigation to a flabbergasted Adolin, now officially known as the luckiest bastard alive. <laughs> so Adolin is just going to OJ his way right out of this. Right. Like, <laughs> Like, what are the chances? That's pretty insane. <laughs> if the shod plate fits, <laughs> you must acquit, but it always fits. <laughs> it always fits. Goddamn light eyes. They get away with everything. So, yeah, we're obviously supposed to wonder at why this person was murdered in the exact same way, right? left in the same sort of position, who could have possibly, like, what does all this mean, right? We're obviously supposed to speculate on this at this point. It's some sort of huge mystery. I definitely don't have an answer, but I have maybe some things that are worth thinking about. Mm-hmm. So tying back into Renarin, isn't his ability to, like, basically be able to see the truth in things? Isn't that part of it? He sees something. Yeah, we don't really know what it is, though. When when they asked what it is that he does, he just said, I see. Creepy. Right. <laughs> again, again. So if we're talking about somebody who could see, I think Renarin would say something to his brother if he somehow knew, but who knows? He's such a mysterious character. It's hard to say. I don't think... It doesn't, it's, I don't think he's involved, but I just want to, I don't know what I want to do. Renarin's weird. I think we're going <laughs> to leave it there. But Shalon does note that he seems to know something, and in particular, he's watching Adolin very closely. Yeah. Now, to be fair, Adolin is not playing it cool here. Not at all. And as much as Shalon is picking up on it, you would think that his brother, who is more, who has attuned to Adolin, mm-hmm. uh, and so where he may be, he may struggle to pick up on other people's emotions. He's hypersensitive to his brother's emotions. Mm-hmm. So it could simply be that Renarin's going through the same thing that Shalon is right now, mm-hmm. seeing something's clearly wrong with Adolin. Right. The other thing that's crossed my mind is that could it be a spren? Not that a spren committed a murder, but that maybe a spren is helping somebody else to know what happened. Yeah, it's unclear how many people do know the details of Sadius's murder. Certainly the people who found him, which I believe Mm -hmm. were many of the members of Bridge Four, as well as many of Sadius's own men. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to know how far that information yeah. has spread. It could be one of Sadius's own men who is taking out one of Sabariel's lieutenants 
in the same fashion mm-hmm. as if to leave a message. I suspect it's not that pedestrian. If I have to guess, and I do, because it's my job in this podcast. The other thing that I think is sort of the strangest, creepiest, weirdest thing that pops up out of nowhere and seems to know all kinds of shit is the um, the Ghost Bloods dude. Mm, Ghost who just, Marais, who just pops up in this damn place, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and knows all kinds of things about Shalon that we wouldn't otherwise think he would know. Mm-hmm. So if there's anybody who sort of fits the bill of like secretly watching everybody knowing things, he also would have to be a candidate in mm-hmm. that mix. That's pretty much the end of my speculation. I, I don't really know what the hell is going on here. Uh, but since it seems like an obvious place to guess, I figured I would make some guesses. Well, those are some good guesses. Yeah, yeah. All I got to say is this. Yeah. Ladies, if your man yells impossible when he sees a corpse with a knife in its eyeball, <laughs> he might not be your man. Maybe not. He might be the guy that killed Sadius. He might be that guy. I just think it's funny how Shalon's like, something's off with him. Nah, he's too stupid. Yeah. <laughs> to be deceitful. Oh, poor he little puppy He can't be dog. Up, with, up to anything. No. There's not <laughs> enough going on upstairs. <laughs> poor, pretty Adolin. Oh, my goodness. He's left in charge of his own murder investigation. <laughs> so listen. There's only one thing to do when you're a light eyes in this weird situation left in charge of your own murder investigation. Blame it on Relaine. Oh, here it comes. Blame it on Relaine. <laughs> that's I'm not that's it. I'm that's not going to I'm not okay. going to sing it right All right. Yeah. Chapter 10 is called Distractions. Kaladin is chasing the Voidbringers. He passes through a village that they attacked and discovers that they are heading towards Kolinar. Meanwhile, Adolin is visiting Gallant. He talks with Renarin, who is struggling with his new role as a Radiant. Kaladin wants Syl to stop mothering him. That's sort of the conversation that they're having. Mm-hmm. Syl just wants Kaladin to get laid. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. And that's kind of the whole scene. He he then goes to this town called Horn Hollow. He gets to do the whole hero bit. He's basically just been flying around, spreading the word about what's going on, tracking these parchment. He does find in an interesting turn that this is the first time that he's found evidence that any of the Parshendi have actually attacked. Mm-hmm. And when these Parshendi attacked, probably a group of 50 of them at least, they didn't like... Raised the town. They just stole food. We also, I believe, find out it might be in the next chapter that that the the parchment had. Oh, yeah, it is in the next chapter. We'll talk. We'll talk about it then. But the parchment in Thalen also did not attack in the way that you would have expected, um, given the behavior of the Parshendi on the Shattered Plains. Yeah, correct. The other thing that I thought was interesting about the Parshendi attack is that, you know, he goes through the scripture. Did they, do, you know, he's talking with the, 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 um, Ardent. 
And did they do this? Yes, they did this. Do this? Yes, they did that. And the red glowing eyes. Mm, right. No, no, right. no red glowing. But of course they had red glowing eyes. I don't know what to tell you, man. They mm-hmm. didn't, uh, nobody said anything about red glowing eyes. Mm-hmm. So mm, what does that mean? Mm. I don't really know. Don't know. I, I thought it was interesting, just sort of my take on uh, this. He arrives at Horn Hollow, and the way it the page ends in my book it says he arrived at Horn uh, Horn Hollow, where the folks had gathered for a meeting, and I said, conveniently, mm-hmm. in my cynical voice, and then I turned the page and it said, that was convenient in calendars. <laughs> I was like, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. That's a good story. So Kaladin, uh, in, you know, Syl wants Kaladin to get laid, and then Kaladin has a specially startling revelation, which I do not think gets nearly enough press. <laughs> which is, he said, he had images of him laying next to a special lady friend and still watching everything. <laughs> and then it, now I'm in my head going, oh my God, he's got to have this one-sided conversation <laughs> with Syl the entire time he wants to hook up. And Syl's like, I know that she's making those noises, but I don't think she means it. <laughs> Kaladin's like, shut up, Syl. <laughs> and then Kaladin's girl's like, did you just tell me to shut up? <laughs> Do it again. <laughs> That's terrifying. Yep. How is he ever supposed to have a normal relationship? That's why they killed the Spren. <laughs> That's why they killed them. <laughs> no sense of privacy. Oh, it's like having toddlers. I that never sleep. <laughs> or preteens that the never sleep. Little fingers reaching under the bathroom door, <laughs> just trying to poop in peace. Uh, but my favorite line from this chapter is when uh, the guy the guy says, uh-huh. would you like me to lead you to Kolinar? He's like, I'm afraid you'd just slow me down. I wrote that one down too. <laughs> That's definitely my favorite one. I wanted, so, of course, we've heard that line before, right? So I'm like, I'm like, what, mov- what movie is that line from? And so I typed in, quote, you'll just slow me down, close mm-hmm. quote, into Google. Apparently, it's in all of them. Right. It's like, it's in. It's a great line. It's in every movie. Why mess with it? Every movie, constantly delivered by middle-aged white men. Right. Every time. Because they're the fastest. Well, according to Hollywood. <laughs> so then we get into the uh, the section with Adolin and Renarin. Mm-hmm. And my first note is that Adolin misses his horse like some sort of teenage girl. Oh, it's sad. I don't feel like they did enough to build that connection for me to really... Uh, right, yeah. There, there was of, definitely yeah. not, a, not a lot of buildup, but... Yeah. And he's not really like wallowing or dwelling. No, but no. Definitely. What I think is interesting is the idea of the Rashadium, who they refer to as sort of the third shard. Mm-hmm. So you've got the the blade, the plate, and the and the horse. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting the connection that Adolin makes that the the horse, the Rashadium, would choose their riders. And then he realized, like, oh wait, the actual the the blades, 
the spren would choose their bears exactly. as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's an interesting connection. And even more interesting is Renarin's comments about how horses don't fit in this world. Yeah, like you chickens. Know? Right, yeah. like chickens. And and Adolin's thoughts about how strange and terrifying an alien horses were, just seeing an animal that was covered in hair. And these yeah. are the only things on this entire planet. So it's just, that's very interesting as well. So Renarin, you know, he's struggling with his powers, mm-hmm. with trying to fit in, you know, and he was starting to feel like he was fitting in with Bridge Four, but now he's got these strange powers. He's supposed to switch roles again. And we kind of see some evidence of his powers that we did not know he had. Yeah, he has Joel Osteen powers. Yes, exactly. Um, Renar- uh, Adolin touches Renarin when he is holding Stormlight, and it not only does it give him a vision of himself, kind of perfected, but also heals his broken wrist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So very interesting there. Chapter 11 is called The Rift. A flashback to Dalinar's youth where he, Gavilar, and Sadius are attacking the city of Rathalus, also known as the Rift. Sadius wants Dalinar to marry for political gain, but with Navani off the buffet, Dalinar's not hungry. Dalinar kicks the city's ass and gains the city lord's shardblade, but begins to feel guilt over the monster he has become. So this chapter for me was kind of like, it does a couple of important things. It establishes, if we didn't already know, that Dalinar of old was a totally metal badass, biting the heads off bats <laughs> and taking names, basically. He's clearly played by Mickey Rourke. <laughs> Obviously. I don't know. I don't know who else it could be. <laughs> I feel a little bit like you buried the lead, Duchess. So, I mean, to me, the the culminating event of this chapter, maybe I missed it, is that it seems like he killed a kid. Does it really? It does seem like that. So, well, I was going to get to that. Because the first time I read it, I think I kind of thought that as well. However, what's interesting is after the battle, he's sitting there and he's feeling guilty about something. Mm-hmm. And he's worried that Gavilar is going to find out mm-hmm. about what he's feeling guilty about. Yes. Something that has to do with the sound of a child crying. Yes. He's feeling guilty about the sound of a child crying. He's worried Gavilar is going to find out. However, Gavilar comes over and talks about the fact that Dalinar killed this child. Yeah. So it's not that. Well, so Dalinar... So Dalinar says the town's going to be pretty upset, not only that you killed their, their bright lord, but also his heir. Yes. Leading you to believe that he killed the kid. And then two paragraphs later, Dalinar says something to the effect of, does Gavilar know? Will Gavilar find out? Mm-hmm. Right. But the kicker is, is that Dalinar has the shard blade. You yes, but you can get a shard blade other ways than killing someone. So 
if he didn't kill the kid, which I, to me, the fact that he had the shard blade, I was like, well, right, he must have killed this child um, because they clearly brought that shard blade back to him. Right. But it's also not as though the child would have had time to bond the shard blade. Mm-hmm. Is there another way for the child to give it, to just give it away to somebody? Well, think about when Adolin... the chapter before, Adolin says something to the effect of you, to Renarin, that Renarin can choose to give it away, right? Well, he said to Renarin, traditionally, it would be you who would do it. And Renarin said, I don't really want to. And think about all of the times that Adolin won shards in duels, would win a shard blade in a duel. Oh, I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah. All right, so he didn't kill a kid. Maybe. I think it's deliberately unclear. See, I was pretty sure that he had killed that kid, which led me down a huge rabbit hole. Oh, are we going to miss out on a rabbit hole? I'll tell you the rabbit hole. Okay. Don't want to waste a perfectly good rabbit hole. well, Well, I wouldn't say it was the biggest of the rabbit holes I've gone down. But it led me to a real tinfoil conclusion. Okay, which was? So I'm like, well, he clearly killed the kid. And then I thought, you know, the line about will Gavilar know, I thought that was meant to be sort of a red herring. But the fact that it happened after Gavilar mentioned it, to me, sort of confirmed it. So I thought, well, there must be something else that Dalinar is keeping... From Gavilar. And right again, right before... So the way it goes is Gavilar says, you killed the heir. We got to stop acting like this. I'm a father now. And then Dalinar says, is it possible that he knows? And I'm like, Dalinar, you sneaky little dick. You stuck it to Navani before Gavilar got there. And Yasna is your daughter. That's a good tinfoil theory. Yeah. Very disappointed to learn it's not true. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've seen enough point of view chapters of Dalinar and Navani. I think if they had been intimate, we would know at this point. Yeah. But that's a good theory. No, it's not. Now I only have two predictions. (laughs) Um, I like that we see Taleb, who is a kind of minor officer that we've seen several times throughout all the books Mm -hmm. kind of being like oh Teleb said this or Teleb said that and you're like who the fuck is Teleb but now we see like he's the archer who in the last flashback was trying to kill Dalinar and Dalinar like kind of forced him into his service Mm -hmm. and now we see him here he's picking off he's saving his life and so obviously he's still with him you know yeah still with him through the rest of the book. So I thought that was kind of cool. I also really like Dalinar. They're talking about whether Sadius will ever get a shard blade and Dalinar saying, oh, he'll he'll find one of his own eventually. I have no doubt of that. So that's just funny because yeah. mm-hmm. we know that eventually Sadius gets with. his shard blade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But really, I feel like this chapter is a setup for the next chapter and um, to to kind of help us understand who Dalinar used to be and why people react to him the way that they do. Also for 
Brandon Sanderson to show off his world building and battle writing. Battle sense. writing, yeah. I mean, he's he's good at it. I mean, these books could be like 700 pages if he just kind of got to the point. If he wasn't so good at writing battles. Yeah, I mean, that's one way to put it. I mean, when you're good at something, you got to flaunt it. You got to lean into your strengths, right? Like, man, you know, I'm like preternaturally good at car dancing. It's true. So, it's true. You know, the right tune comes on. I just got to hit it. You do. It's true. Whether the teenagers in the back seat like it or not. It's and not, they don't. It's not all about them. It's not. I have a gift. I have to share it with the world. With the world. At least the people on I-695. <laughs> Chapter 12 is called Negotiations. Dalinar and his council set up a Spanreed meeting with the Emperor of Macabac, King of Azir, Prime Akasix, otherwise known as Gox. Gox, or his political advisor, doesn't seem too keen on trusting Dalinar. Neither does the Queen of the Thalens or any of the other foreign leaders, except for Taravangian. Things get complicated when Elicar proclaims Dalinar to be the High King of Eurythiru and kneels to him as liege. Elkar asks to take a team to recapture Kolinar. A lot of stuff kind of happens all at once. This is like reading the first couple chapters of Ivanhoe. Christ, just <laughs> politics and this lord and talking to my God. Ah, on and on it goes. It's interesting to hear the story of Gox as it's told across the world. You know, because yeah, yeah. we know what really happened. Mm -hmm. So they're like, oh, it's this kid. He was made the emperor. It's said that he raised a child from the dead, but yeah. obviously that's made up. It's interesting that they think it's made up, given that they know that magic powers are coming back into the world. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And it kind of is made up. Uh, <laughs> sort. I mean. Sort of. Sort of. Sort yeah. Of. At least exaggerated. So that's an interesting conversation because the Azish, the Azish claim to be negotiating with the Parshendi. <laughs> so now we kind of, now we have like three instances of the Parshendi changing into storm form, but not acting in a particularly warlike way. Yeah. The Parshendi um, in, in the Thalen country uh, stole a bunch of ships and sailed off. The Parshendi in Azir are, are, sending in contracts and negotiations, you know, um, in the Hearthstone area, they're just stealing. It's very, it's, it's just unusual, not what we would expect. Well, and it goes back to chapter five with Hearthstone. We talked about the reunion and it was not at all what Kaladin expected. Mm -hmm. Well, now we get to this, you know, the, the coming of the Voidbringers mm -hmm. and it isn't going the way they expected it. Mm -hmm. Now all the all the flashbacks and things lead us to believe it's going to get worse. Mm -hmm. Like there is bad shit coming. Um, but if, if I think back about it and I reflect on the things that I've seen in like Dalinar's flashbacks, the things we've actually seen, I don't recall ever seeing like hordes of Parshendi coming through towns and killing people. Right. It, it was, the not arrow class, the thunder classes. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, you know, uh, these other monsters that he fought in that cabin that one time, inky black things. Like there were monsters, but they weren't necessarily 
and dead Parshendi on the battlefield. I think they were mentioned as being orange blood and stuff like that. Oh, okay. All right. So, but they were not necessarily, it's not really where the real threat is coming from, even if I look back on those. Mm-hmm. I, 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 okay, I have sort of a prediction about that. Mm-hmm. So, none of the world leaders trust Dalinar. Dalinar is like basically that guy in college that you and all your girlfriends just know. <laughs> Bad you news. just know you don't go in a room alone with that guy. Like everyone just kind of knows. You don't necessarily. You might pull someone aside if they think they maybe don't know, but you just don't. You just don't go in that guy's can room we, alone. Can we say his name? No. no. But he knows who he is. <laughs> he probably doesn't. It's a metaphorical guy, okay? But but all my all the ladies out there, y'all know what I'm talking about. Dalinar is basically that guy. He's like, hey everyone, I got this great place now. Come on over. I got a lava lamp. <laughs> you gotta check it out. It's gonna be cool. Dalinar's got black silk sheets. <laughs> Leopard print uh, pillowcases. <laughs> exactly. Man, when I was... <laughs> 18 kinds of lube. I'm sorry. <laughs> Everyone's like, gee, thanks. I got a test tomorrow. Sorry. <laughs> when I was in the army, you know, and I lived in the barracks, right? Barracks rooms are by their very nature. Like, just straightforward, like nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, very drab concrete walls, and at least mine were, right? Mm-hmm. And there was this guy who lived like two doors down in the barracks, and he'd been there, you know, a lot longer than I had. And I remember at some point, I don't remember why, um, but I ended up going into his room, and his room looked like a velvet painting of a sex den. <laughs> like, he had transformed this drab room, (laughs) like you walked in and the central feature was this like enormous, like round bed with red silk sheets. (laughs) And the like, the walls were covered with like tapestries and like paintings of panthers and, (laughs) and like a deep shag rug. And I'm like, what the fuck did I just step into? Like it, How do you make it through inspections like this? This can't be real. It was like a room of holding. Like it it was like the TARDIS of the barracks. Like it it couldn't possibly have really been there. But that's what I recall. So as far as the other foreign leaders are, I mean, I'm just saying that you walk into a room like that, you know that's the guy. Yeah, you don't... Don't sit on that bed. You got, <laughs> your girlfriends are like, oh, dude. Don't touch anything? That's the guy. Yeah, right. Don't go in there. You can smell him coming. <laughs> um, and because of the previous chapter, now we kind of understand why. You know, and Dalinar's like, I'll send some troops through your oath gate, man. No problem. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's kind of an exit only, buddy. <laughs> right. He's like, I don't get it. What? <laughs> I'm a good dude. Come on, baby. 
<laughs> I just want to help you fight the Barshendi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, we, we can, I got some notes. You got some notes. We got a test coming up. Let me examine you. I mean, help you. Just want to study with you, baby. <laughs> so what did you think about Elokar's actions and all that stuff? Uh, so my thoughts about Elokar are, I'm glad to see him attempting to try to find and make something of himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, bad timing, dude. Like, right. Like, could you... Could you have your personal moment of crisis at some more politically <laughs> convenient time? I don't know. I mean, I think it is kind of, it's it's going to be a good thing for them because making Dalinar a king of a separate place and kind of giving him an official status is probably going to help them in the long run. It gives him sort probably, of an yeah. official standing. Um, it shows that he didn't actually depose Elokar. It's probably going to be overall. And for me, I felt like, like, oh, wow, that was actually kind of a smart move for Elokar and a little bit impressive. You know, this character hasn't made a lot of smart moves. He's basically kind of just bounced around, reacted to situations, whining and complaining. So it's kind of nice to see him come out and be like, not completely changed. He still whines and complains a little bit, but actually do something that, that seems kind of intelligent and like a good idea. See, I would speculate that if I'm Dalinar, I'm thinking, here's what the other Bright Lords are going to see. I get pronounced to be King of Eurythero, or High Lord, whatever it is, and then I send Elokar away where he can't be of any use. Like, it just seems like from the outside, people are going to see this as a power play made by Dalinar. Right. Not something that Elikar volunteered. But what I do think is cool about it is we have clearly a bunch of Parshendi going towards Kolinar. Mm -hmm. They're going right up the Kolin alley. We have... We have Kaladin following them, and we have Elikar going to uh, Kolinar to find out what's going on. Mm-hmm. It, there's clearly going to be some big reveal in Kolinar. Say Kolinar again. Kolinar. Were those any of those 18 brands of lube, Kolinar lube? Oh, my God. <laughs> Kolinar. The finest silicone lube that money can buy. So then at the end, we have an oh. unintentionally hilarious message from Teravangian. T-Vange. Right? Showing up. Although I have to say, the Queen of Thalen was my favorite character. Absolutely the best. Yes, the Queen of Thalen is the best. But yeah, T-Vange shows up. I'm I'm ready to, to do business. Let's... Mm-hmm. Let's trade notes. Right. And it's just so, it's it's so funny to see Dalinar's perception of him. Yeah. Like, oh, this kindly old man. At least he's on my side. These Teravangians like, on my side. Right? Yeah. Oh, no. You have no idea. That's probably not going to end badly. Probably not. So thus ends our chapter coverage. It does. It does. 
So are you ready to discuss our listener interactions? Yes. It has been three weeks, uh, uh, I think, uh, yeah, about, since we, <laughs> we asked for comments exactly. on this section. So. We put up about three weeks ago a post on our Facebook group page saying, hey, going to be recording episode 103 soon. If you want to get your questions in, hurry up, folks. And then three weeks later, we didn't do a dance. And then <laughs> we found out that half of our children had head lice. And then we spent two weeks uh, overseas, not entirely by design. <laughs> There's a story there. Things got crazy is what we're saying. And things got a little crazy. We were refugees in a foreign country. <laughs> That's not at all true, but okay. All right, okay. Anyway, what we're saying is we appreciate everyone's patience. Uh, we had gotten very accustomed over the last year or so to being able to put out a podcast every single week, and it just hasn't been possible for us over the last few months. So we just appreciate that the people have stuck with us and Absolutely. stayed active on the group page talk to each other. Uh, that's really meant a lot to us. We've had a ton of new folks joining the group page. So, mm -hmm. uh, so welcome to those folks. I don't have a list of them because uh, Facebook likes to give that to me when it wants to. Right. So the, um, the other thing to note here, since we're sort of on the topic is that although we had, we do not intend to, to have it be a month between episodes. Um, but we certainly will not, promise that we're going to be able to release episodes on a regular weekly basis again. We we don't expect uh, through the remainder of the summer for that to happen, but we will do our best not for it to be a month between podcasts. Correct. Uh, and it may be longer between book club podcasts, so we'll be doing a bit longer sections, uh, but then also releasing, you know, comic book coverage, that kind of thing whenever we can as well. So... Hang in there. We're doing the best we can. <laughs> All right. So Theogram Brown says, towards the end of chapter 11, we have Dalinar closed his eyes, distracted by the shame he felt. What if Gavilar found out? What is it that he's referring to? Uh, is the kid dead by his hand? We, we kind of covered that covered a little that. bit. Yeah. We don't believe that that is what's going on there. Um. I'm. I still think that uh, Yasna might be uh, his daughter. I don't really think mm. that, but um, no, he clearly did something. Hopefully, other than kill that child. Theo also says, "Can we go through the snapters so far if it hasn't already been covered?" That's a good idea for a future episode. Absolutely, definitely. By the end of the part, we will go through all the snapters for sure. For sure. Samuel Denberg says. Do storms predate shards arriving on Roshar? That is a fantastic question. It is. I'm going to say no. Oh, all right. That is my guess. But I don't have any way of right. knowing that. You're just pulling that out of your ass. Okay. Yeah, like a shard out of my ass. Like a shard out of your ass. You all would right. want to pull shards out of your ass. You don't want them to stay there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sounds horrible. Samuel Denberg also says, what does it mean? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Actually, he says, will Adolin restore 
or bond his shard blade's spren. He sure talks to it enough. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we do know that at, at some point when Syl is talking about the spren who died in the recreants, which we know are the well, the, the corpses of those spren are the mm-hmm. shard blades that are being used, the sort of dead blades. And at some point, Syl talks about, she's talking about Adolin and Kaladin to Kaladin about how she doesn't like him. And she says, well, let someone grab your sister's corpse by the feet and swing it around and see how much you like them. Also, at some point, many, many, many chapters ago, I think there was a reference to, can you restore the spren? Well, right. we didn't. No, no, no. Well, maybe if we try this. Maybe if their radiance were alive, were the, I think is yeah, what yeah, it was yeah. said. So, so it seems like it. It seems to me inevitable that at some point in this series, at least some of those spren will be rebonded or restored. So Samuel Denberg also says, "What does it mean that Adolin's wrist was healed?" I think that uh, Renarin has Joel Osteen powers. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's clearly one of Renarin's powers that mm-hmm. he has the ability to heal. Uh, Taravangian, uh, I'm sorry, Susan King says, Taravangian said he had a radiant. Who do you think it is? Don't know. You're allowed to say I don't know. I, I don't know. I can't say I don't know because I do know, but I already read the book. <laughs> so the question's not really for me. I sus I suspect that would be the way that it gets revealed to us that Yasna's around, maybe? We'll find out. I don't know. Okay. Susan King also says, Who do you think the copycat killer is? Does Pattern know that Adolin killed Sadius and will Pattern rat out Adolin? That's a good question. Uh because Pattern certainly seems to be able to sniff out lies. He is the lying cat of this series. Mm. So will he be able to detect? I don't know. It hasn't arisen to this point. Mm -hmm. My guess is going to be no, Mm -hmm. that pattern does not out Adolin. Um, She also asks, is Lyft going to be the Azish Radiant? (laughs) Maybe. I mean, that would seem appropriate for her character. I think mm-hmm. at the end of Edge Dancer, she's going back to to Azir and to try to actually stay in one place and learn to grow with people. Mm-hmm. So it seems like that would be the most appropriate thing. Yep. Oh, my God. <laughs> Where in the world is Yasna Colin? Susan King says, where's Yasna? And I'm sorry, but Eric Allgaier posted a picture of Yasna from the front of Oathbringer, but with a Where's Waldo hat and glasses. It's a good I'm question. Sorry, you just need to, that just freaked me out. Just keep looking. Just keep looking. Yeah. So where, where is she? You don't know. All right. She's in T. Vange's left pocket. <laughs> Eric Allgaier says, A, do you think one of the focal points of Oathbringer will be revealing who Dalinar's wife, shh, 
she was and how she died. And what if Dalinar is the one who killed her and that's why he erased her from his memory? Do you think she tried to elope or something and he hunted her down to a desert church in Texas and killed the whole wedding party? OMG, could she be Beatrix Kiddo from Kill Bill? <laughs> is she still alive and coming back from vengeance? Wow, I might have gone over the deep there. A little bit. <laughs> Good question. I'm gonna kill Dalinar Colon. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. That's fantastic. I think that his wife and the the heir are somehow connected. His wife and and what? And the little boy. Oh, the little boy. Okay. Thea Graham Brown says, uh, Lori Phillips had some good notions regarding whether Voidbringers. Uh, the Voidbringers Kaladin was tracking were actually Voidbringers at all. Do you think some of the Voidbringers are just opportunists? Uh, I'm going to leave this one alone because it ties into one of my one of my predictions. Okay. Brian McClure says, "What do you think the Voidbringers are doing?" I mean, I think they're having they're having a big ocean party. And grain. They're getting on a boat. They're getting sacks of grain. They're hooping it up. They're dancing where nobody can judge them and trying to sail as far away from the shatter planes as they can. Now I'll get into get into that in my prediction. <laughs> so he also says the last two books mainly only focus on the shattered planes and the Alethi. Only 12 chapters in and things are becoming much more international with new places, culture, and characters interacting. Do you find this jarring or do you think that the interludes showing some of these places already helped cushion the change? I think Sanderson does a good job of slowly expanding out from a base where you know, where you sort of know people. I don't find it particularly jarring. Uh, some other series that I've read, you you go to a new book and then all of a sudden it opens with like mm-hmm. new characters in a new kingdom. And you're like, what the hell's uh, going on yeah. here? I don't want these people. I want the people that I've grown to love and know. Steven Erickson, I'm looking at you. Uh, George R. R. Martin does that a lot too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think Sanderson does a good job of sort of doing it. Um, but I also think it was due because I've have been you know i've gotten the perspective all along that like hey there's a much bigger world out here mm-hmm. can we start exploring that so i think the pacing of that has been about as perfect as you can expect he also says will teravangian be sadius 2.0 no but do you think he'll be better or worse it'll be more interesting mm-hmm I, didn't, I never found Sadius to be all that interesting of a character. I, yeah, I agree. I mean... I mean, he's not... He wasn't just a cartoon-twirling villain. There was more complexity to him than that, but not a lot more than that. But he didn't have a murder hospital. Yeah. Well, Teravangian is infinitely more interesting yes, and I, complex than Sadius. Definitely one of the most interesting characters that I think Brandon Sanderson has written. Now, if if by that question, Brian, you mean will he become sort of like the next big bad? Mm-hmm. Well, I, yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm not wholly convinced of that, however. I mean, I don't think Teravangian is necessarily a good dude. Let's be clear about that. But I do think Sanderson is sort of playing with the concept that pure rationality and extreme intelligence 
without empathy is evil. But the other side to the Taravangian coin is that he has the pure empathy mode as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think Taravangian is definitely not going to be a force for good. But I think it's going to go beyond him. For, for lack of anything better to say. Mm-hmm. So uh, the other question is, any idea about what's up with the second murder? Not a goddamn idea. <laughs> uh, let's see. Who do you think is the author of Oathbringer, the in-world version, I mean? So that's what the Snapters have been so far. Snapters of a book called Oathbringer. And we will address those presently. I'm going to guess Sadi. Okay. Is the author. And then uh, best quote for this section. Oh, I mean, we both said it. You'll only slow me down. <laughs> or Inbar says, it's still early on, but do you have a prediction of what flashbacks we're going to get in book four? Well, let's see. So, I mean, the three main characters so far have been Kaladin, Shallan and Dalinar, and we're getting flashbacks for all three of those. So the next, so the candidates could be Adolin, Renarin, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Navani. I, I'm going. I'm going the Lopin. That's my vote. The Lopin. That would be awesome. Um, I think Yasna would be another one. Mm-hmm. So the next question is: uh, People seem to be taking the return of the Knight's Radiance pretty well. Uh, do you think that will change? So my take on that is simply that uh, the people have been blown around the wrong way and they're looking for any shoulder to cry on. Wrong way Wendy came through, <laughs> breaking all the boys' hearts. <laughs> and uh, these guys are, are there and willing to do something. Okay, sorry. I real quick looked up because I, I know I'd seen it somewhere on Coppermind about the flashbacks for book four. I, I believe... Is it a spoiler? No, no, no. Okay. No, it's it, it's not a plot spoiler. It's okay. just what he has said are going to be the, the flashback characters. Okay. Tentatively, um, book four, I think, is supposed to be Eshonai. And tentatively titled The Rhythm of War. Mm, okay. Book Interesting. F- and then book five is tentatively called Stones Unhallowed, and we'll have flashbacks from Seth. This is from Coppermind.net. Interesting. The, you heard it here first. Or. Or Coppermind. <laughs> second, maybe third. I don't know. <laughs> you heard it here, though. You did hear it. You heard it. <laughs> uh, will Dalinar be able to win over the other nations, and if so, How? Epic cheese tray. <laughs> Rap battle. <laughs> so listen, my theory of politics is simply that you won't have any of these fights if you just make world leaders touch tips. Wait, touch what? Touch tips. Tips of what I think you're referring yeah, to? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, you want to... You want to have a big, you know, a big hullabaloo. You want to go to war. You want to do an X, Y, and Z. 
Get Putin. Get Trump out there. Touch, oh my God! Why are tips. you? Why are you doing this? Why would you put that image in anyone's because, brain? <laughs> you can't. You can't take it seriously after that. I can't. They'll be. Oh my God! Think of all the things <laughs> it would solve. It would solve a lot of things. Dear listeners, I apologize. She got to touch tips. <laughs> So I think things are right now. I think that the the quote void bringers don't appear to really be actively, you know, going around attempting to create mass casualties. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to change, and I think when that changes, people will be much more willing to come up off of their political concerns, right? And and more willing to sort of you know. Talk. Also, right. I think as the radiance become uh, begin to more become of a more presence, exactly yeah. more of a presence, and uh, they start pulling people to Europe, it'll become more of an international thing. Mm-hmm. But right now, you can't you can't really blame mm-hmm. you know uh, the Queen of Thalen for not wanting to accept mm-hmm. a, a foreign king sending battalions into right. her damaged city that can't defend itself. Come on, baby. Or, right? Or asking her to walk in under their power where they, you know, where Dalinar could easily kidnap her and then take over Thalen. Mm-hmm. So you can't blame the people for behaving this way. It's sort of, I don't want to say silly of Dalinar to think otherwise, because what choice does he have? Mm-hmm. But it is sort of naive of him to think that, you know, the Queen of Thalen would be like, sure, I'll be there in right. time for tea. I'll surrender myself unto your power. You've only caved in the chest of every other person who's opposed you. Yeah. Let me put myself entirely in your clutches. Exactly. But I'm different now. <laughs> I changed, baby. <laughs> I changed. <laughs> I'm not that man I used to be. <laughs> Okay, last question. Brian McClure says, what will Terabangian do in your theory? Fuck shit up. That's right. You know... Um, Where did this murder hospital come from? I don't know. I think it wasn't there yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Where, what's been happening to, uh, to all the soldiers? Didn't we have a lot more soldiers? <laughs> Felt like there were a lot more soldiers here yesterday. <laughs> so, I mean... Teravangian's plans are sort of like highly dependent upon how he wakes up in the morning, right? Uh-huh. Like, so he is, he has sort of a built-in limiter mm-hmm. to his power. There's a sort of chaos factor of like, he doesn't know, and we don't know what Teravangian you're going to get on a given day. Mm-hmm. Also, it seems like Seth isn't... um really listening to him anymore no seth is not with him at all exactly yeah so he's lost his you know assassin in Mm -hmm. white but that's not to say that he doesn't i mean he clearly does have a lot of other minions um it'll be interesting to me i think the the determiner to me of what we're going to get out of teravangian is going to be who walks through the gate with him yes and we assume he's got his entourage 
but who those people are, we're going to see somebody there familiar to us. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to be Yasna. I don't know if it's going to be some other ghost blood. I don't know who it's going to be. Somebody's going to come through that gate with him. You got to think, like, Teravangian gets the request from Dalinar. What Teravangian got the request? Dopey, lovable old Teravangian? Or insidious, insane genius Teravangian? Who is telling the people, get ready to walk through the gate? Yeah, I think we also can't underestimate how much control the diagram has over the dopey version of Teravangian. True. You know, he is only allowed to make decisions for himself at a certain intelligence level. Um, anything lower than that, and his handlers are making sure he's following the plan set out in the diagram. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. you know, overall, I would say um, smart Teravangian has made it so that he's the one in charge. Uh, agreed. And the people who are his henchmen are clearly on board with the plan. So they're yes. not going to let Dopey Teravangian do something stupid. Right. Yeah, agreed. Um, but yeah, that's going to be the alter- ultimate determiner to me. I'm curious that like now that we've gone this far through, through so many more steps of the process where I think Teravangian expected Dalinar to already be dead, does that change his plan? I don't know, because we know that his one of his goals set out by the diagram is to become king of everything, for him to be the one who's in charge. It's true. So Dalinar is definitely standing in the way of that. For sure, and Dalinar has just been determined by Elicar, conveniently, to be the king of everything. Mm-hmm. Not really, but the king of uh, your theorists, so... Predictions, predictions, predictions. All right. I've got a, I've got a couple. They're harebrained um, because they just are. All right, they just are. All right. So prediction: the first, uh, there will be some counter energy to stormlight revealed at some point. So some sort of nega stormlight, anti stormlight, moonlight. People are going to get followed around by moon shadows, moon shadow, moon shadow, <sighs> something. I don't know. Adolin says, this is prediction number two, that Stormlight is the power of the Almighty itself. I say it isn't. Oh, spicy take. It's not. Nice. He's wrong. I think Dalinar's aricide, that's what I'm going to call it now, mm-hmm. his killing of the child, is going to be a lie that's going to follow him in Ned Starkian fashion. Mm. He's going to do something, and it's he's not ever going to really be able to get out from under it. All right. I think that that child and sh- his wife are going to somehow be connected. Okay. I don't know how. I don't know if he soul cast the little boy into his wife. That's gross. Uh, but somehow they're going to be connected. All right. All right, and then my last prediction is around uh, the Parshendi and why they 
are not these terrible void bringers who are running around just destroying everything willy nilly. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Parshendi are ever going to run around and just destroy things willy nilly mm-hmm. by themselves. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to do everything they can to get away from the darker, more evil, controlling powers that are about to come. Mm. Good prediction. Them's my predictions, yo. Nice. Oh, my goodness. Oh. We're back in business, we baby. back. It feels good. Feels good. Do you got anything else? No. Tell them where they can find us. They can find us on the Twitters at The D&D Podcast, on Facebook at The D&D Group. Join our Facebook group page, uh, facebook.com slash group slash The D&D Group. We're also on all the social media's Goodreads, which is finding itself to be more active recently, uh, as well as Instagram and the Reddits and all the interwebs. Uh, come hang out with the show. Catch us next book club. We're covering chapters 13 through 20. Good night, everybody. Good night. We did it, baby. We did it.